Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is November 23rd, 2021. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense. 45 minutes of unedited, unscripted, and for the time being, uncensored commentary on Canada's issues. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in snowy BC. Snowy BC? Do tell, you live in the Okanagan. Oh yeah, we're in the middle of a blizzard. And uh, the area that uh, flooded and all the washouts happened and all of that is getting hit with a massive snow and rainstorm um, starting today and probably lasting through till Sunday. So, yeah, and this is right in the middle of uh, the city of Merritt uh, beginning to move their citizens back into town uh, starting today. Um, The first, the city's been divided up into three areas and they're bringing each area back separately. Uh, So today is the, the higher ground area. Um, If, if anybody knows the Merritt area very well, there's uh where all the, the highway, where the highway comes through, the Coquihalla Highway, where it comes through town, uh, there's gas stations and a couple hotels and and uh, fast food joints and stuff. Uh, the hospital is up there. All that area is all returning starting today. Um, yeah, Thursday, they're going to start returning the lower lane areas. Uh, but the area where my parents live, which is an area of town called Colletville, um, that part of town is going to be released on a block by block basis because of the damage and, uh, the fact that, uh, I guess the sewer system is still not completely functioning correctly in that part of town. So they're, they've, uh, they've got a lot, they've still got a lot of work to do before they can return home, but they are expecting to return home by uh, the end of the weekend, I believe. Um, the uh, the only problem with that is what kind of ranch this uh, snow and rainstorm um, uh, throws into uh, throws into the mix here. Um, hopefully, it doesn't. Hopefully, you know it's cold enough up high that it doesn't melt. Hopefully, um, I know here. In the Okanagan Valley, uh, it's uh, it is a blizzard, but it's one degree above zero. So the snow is sta- sticking to the ground, but it's making for really slippery conditions. So I'm hoping that the the higher elevations are, are cold enough that that snow does not melt and uh, cause any more issues for the uh, for the communities that have been flooded. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, well, then... but a big a big shout out to cp rail because i mean if anybody's seen the pictures on online of the fraser canyon which is what the uh trans canada highway runs down and it runs right alongside the rail lines cp's rail lines uh if anybody has seen those washouts where the tracks are just hanging in midair um you will be surprised to know that CP Rail is running trains to Vancouver today. 
Oh my. They managed to move the rail line and build new rail beds and lay new rails in the past week uh, to get trains down to Vancouver and to get uh, shipping containers and everything moved up into the uh, interior of BC. Oh my, that's so that's actually huge. Amazing. Yeah, it's it's uh, unbelievable what they accomplished in a week. It is a temporary fix until they can get uh, the main rail line uh, reconstructed. But shout out to CP Rail, unbelievable, unbelievable what they accomplished in a week. Um, now, the last time we were on uh, was last Tuesday, and it was you know. A day and a half after the city of Merritt was evacuated and we saw some of the damage happening. Well, since then, I mean, more damage has occurred, right? Like, I mean, we've, we've seen anybody who's seen the, the photos online of the Coquihalla Highway or the Trans-Canada through the Fraser Canyon can see that uh, there is absolute destruction on both of those highways. And... Uh, I, I spent 18 years in engineering and construction. I, you know, looking at it, I don't see how it, how the Coquihalla or the Fraser Canyon open up, like fully open up before 2023. Um, the, uh, surprisingly, those two highways are not the most damaged highways in BC, the highway between Merritt and Spence's Bridge. Spence's Bridge is in the Fraser Canyon. Uh, and the highway that runs from Merritt to Spence's Bridge is uh, joins up with the Trans-Canada in Spence's Bridge. The reason this highway is so important is because in the winter, when the Coquihalla gets shut down because of uh, severe weather, and this happens on a regular basis. Anyone who is in the trucking industry knows that. Anyone that has uh, watched um, Highway Through Hell will know that because the TV show Highway Through Hell is filmed on the Coquihalla Highway. And you know that when there's severe weather on the Coke, that highway gets shut down. And um, the... Uh, and this highway between Merritt and Spence's Bridge operates as the alternate route to the lower mainland when the Coquihalla gets shut down. That highway uh, is gone. And when I say gone, I mean gone. There is... I have heard... Anywhere from 50 to 70% of the highway is actually gone. It's missing. It's just gone. Wow. And so that, that highway um, most likely is going to have to move entirely because the river has completely moved and is in different locations, and those locations are where the highway used to be. Uh, so they can't build where the highway was from the looks of things. They're going to have to move the highway entirely. Now, the biggest problem with this is that there are, there are dozens and dozens, if not a hundred or so, ranches, farms, 
poems and uh, I believe at least two Indian reserves on that highway. And none of them have access. So I don't know how anybody is, I mean, I know they're helicoptering in feed for the animals, but I don't know how people are going to get to and from their houses. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's quite unbelievable. Well, I'll say, wow. Yeah. Right. So we've got the weather on the show today. We've also got, well, more exciting news out of British Columbia. We've got Ottawa keeps on losing, and we're not talking about the Red Blacks. And we've got three contenders and no race. And then, as you know, we'll always find more. So let's continue on the weather front because, I mean, I appreciate the update for your area of BC. Now, the Canadian Armed Forces have come in to help out in Abbotsford and will likely be deployed elsewhere, I'm going to guess. Uh, from what I understand, um, it's they're really, I believe, sticking down to the Abbotsford, you know, Sumas Prairie area. Uh, that's where, like, the dike building is really crucial. Um, so I believe, if if I'm not mistaken, they're they're primarily focusing on that that area with the military. Well, okay. Well, good to have them there, honestly, and. Just to switch gears for a little bit on uh, on your area, there's another area of BC where I'd like to see some more of the military because the Coastal Gas Link project uh, has run into a bit of a snag, shall we say. Yeah. Um, apparently, some of these eco-terrorists decided to steal some of the heavy equipment and uh, dig up the road that leads to the uh, to the project. And it left, I believe, about a dozen employees stranded. Yeah, and I mean, as nonchalantly as we could be about it, we by stranding those employees, you're actually blocking also service vehicles, like food delivery, for example. So these terrorists are actually trying to starve these people out. Now, it should be noted, and we've talked about this on the show, I think, two years ago already, that all the First Nations along that Coastal Gas Link Pipeline project are all in favor, but there is a Wet'suwet'en hereditary chief that is against the project and is fully backing these terrorists. Yeah, but the thing is, like, this is what I I just get really, really frustrated with, and this is what the whole this whole thing with, um, if you remember, I mean, I, it's hard hard to forget. Although I think most people have forgotten because of COVID, um, but right before COVID, uh, those we had railway blockades across the country that brought the shipping of goods almost to a standstill. Um, and it was all because of the Wet'suwet'en self-declared, uh, hereditary chiefs. And that, and that's very important to, to emphasize is the self-declared part of that. Um, because, uh, they just decided to up and declare themselves hereditary chiefs and remove 
the other hereditary chiefs that were in place and then opposed the project. Um, so this is not surprising, but it's absolutely asinine that these eco-terrorists are being allowed to continue this when they are they've done they're acting in in terroristic manner i mean you don't steal equipment dig up a road and and try to to starve people out i mean that that's criminal absolutely it is all of it and, and yet this we're allowing this to happen because in canada if you're i mean if you're if you're protesting on on the opposite side of this, you'll get arrested. Yeah, that's sad, isn't it? I mean, if you're you're effectively you're supporting the government's agenda by trying to to delay this project or sabotage this project. So Trudeau wouldn't wouldn't lift a finger to try and stop these protests. In fact, he probably doesn't even know they're going on. If he did, he would probably cheer for them or say some platitude like, well, we need to find out why they feel excluded uh, or something stupid like that. So probably best he doesn't weigh in. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, the thing is, is that even if he does know, he doesn't care. Right. I mean, he, he's, oh, yeah. I mean, he's been doing photo ops in the U.S. for the past week, so. I mean, he, he doesn't give a rat's ass about what's going on in, in BC. He doesn't care, you know, about whether it's the coastal gas link problems or it's the the flooding and and all of that. He just he doesn't care. He's he's down in the states doing posing for selfies. Yeah, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because he was asked by well, whichever enterprise reporter it was, and when he was going to visit BC, and he just said when it's appropriate and it took me back to the high river floods uh, a few years ago when we had a different prime minister and the photo op was actually a video because the prime minister of that time chose not to stop for the cameras but Stephen and Lorene Harper were in high river with their with their work gloves on and their boots and playing street clothes actually helping clean up and as you said, Justin Trudeau could not be bothered. No, and uh, and that's I mean that's a diff that that's that right there is a stark contrast between great leadership and poor leadership. I mean, it, when it's appropriate. When that's when right. when when will it be appropriate, Mister Prime Minister? Will it be when you're on your next vacation in Tofino? Um, I'm sure he'll want to go skiing in Whistler sometime this winter. Yeah, so maybe make a detour to see the, you know, what's been repaired by them, or or what? Like, well, he'll he'll fly over in a helicopter and have a video taken of him in the helicopter, quote unquote, surveying the damage. Yeah, which will have been cleaned up and repaired by then. Right. So. Congratulations. We've, we've got such a great leader in this country. Ah, but there's more on our great leader. Of course there is. 
<laughs> so COP26, ever the virtue signaler that he is, Justin Trudeau, declared that Canada was going to put a emissions cap on the oil and gas sector. And every other industrialized country in the world represented at COP26 all said, yeah, we'll, we'll just kind of, you know, keep studying and explore some new ideas and we'll, we'll meet again and talk about that. So Justin Trudeau decides we'll handcuff our country, take away any competitive advantage we might have, while the rest of you countries laugh your asses off at us. Yeah, and, and this is what Trudeau believes is good leadership. Because he's thinking, I, I guarantee you, he's thinking, well, if we do this, then other countries will fall in line and do it too, because we're doing it. Except, here's the thing. Nobody cares what Canada's doing. Right. Like, they care what the U.S. does. They care what China does. They they care what Russia does. Hell, they care what Germany, England, and France do. They don't care what we do. Like, Canada, Canada represents, like, 1.5% of global CO2 emissions. Nobody cares. If we got rid of 100% of our emissions, it doesn't make a damn bit of difference on a global scale. But Europe, like the EU, it matters what they do. It matters what the U.S. does. It matters what China does. does not matter what we do. No, not at all. And our second, and there's more about Justin Trudeau, really hit that one home. The Ever the Big Shot went to the Three Amigos Summit. And, of course, pretending he was, of course, was the longest serving of the three national leaders. And came away with the big goose egg on electric cars. Now... I'm sure there was more to be discussed, but all the media has talked about is electric cars and the fact that Joe Biden and the U.S. with their Buy America policy have stuck to their guns with a, I think it's a $12,500 rebate on electric cars in purchase in the U.S. that were built with unionized U.S. labor. And, yeah. and of course, Justin Trudeau, Mary Hing, Christian Freeland, a bunch of other big shots, Melanie Jolie was there. And all, no, we're going to make sure we get a better deal so Canada can be included in that. And the Americans said, no, no, uh, we're going to go that way to buy America policy. And Canada, well, best of luck to you. And uh, maybe you can do something with your electric cars. Well, we're not selling them in the States, that's for sure. No, and you know what's really funny about this is that every liberal in Canada has been going, well, when Joe Biden becomes president, our relationship with the U.S. will become much better. They'll, they're better. Joe Biden is better for Canada than Trump was. Well, Joe Biden is no better for Canada than Trump was. I mean, Trump wasn't great for Canada. Trump was terrible for Canada. Um, Biden is just as bad because they, they subscribe to the uh, protectionist um, policies that Trump had. And really, those protectionist policies, you know, were, uh, were no different than um, Obama's protectionist policies. 
And those protectionist policies weren't a whole lot better than George W. Bush's protectionist policies. And, and it's, and it's funny because we're always told that a Democrat in office in the States is better for Canada. And I have yet to see any evidence that either one is better for Canada. No, you're right. I mean, and honestly, the protectionism, the buy American kind of deal is almost exclusively a Democrat uh, purview. I mean, they, they see all the ones who stand the most proud and say, oh, this is our policy. But you're right. Everybody has a protectionist policy. I mean, Americans are free traders when it comes to other countries, not their own goods. Yeah, I mean, if everybody remembers, it, I believe it was Obama that brought in the whole Buy America Steel policy, and Harper, you know, fought against that and and actually managed to get them to include Canada's steel in that deal. Um, and then, uh, uh, and then it was, I believe, um, Trump actually he got rid of the the Canadian exemption for that and um and you see uh uh, biden hasn't hasn't reversed that so yeah let's let's be real here i mean the american president is doing what he's supposed to do and that is look out for american interests first i just wish we had i just wish we had a president a prime minister in canada that did that for canada well that'll be great but to be fair when uh President Trump had uh, implemented the steel tariffs on Canadian steel. Justin Trudeau fought back by putting a tariff on Jack Daniels whiskey from the U.S. So he was fighting back. Oh, yeah. Sorry. He did. He was, uh, <laughs> he was fighting the good fight. He was, yeah. All those bourbon drinkers were so upset that they were going to be coming down to Tennessee and saying, you got to get this changed. Well, if you'd put it on some good bourbon, I would have maybe had a problem with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, there you go, eh? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I want to get on, uh, on the political realm here. So the United Conservative Party of Alberta had their annual general meeting this last weekend, and there was no talk about a leadership review. The, there are enough constituency associations, I believe, that can trigger one, but that doesn't matter because we've already got Brian Jean suggesting he's interested in becoming the next UCP leader, and now Danielle Smith has said, oh, that job comes vacant, I'll run for it. And I just thought, I think we're actually missing the leadership rate for the two of you to oppose Jason Kenny. Don't we need that first? You would think. Um, I would have. Yeah. I mean, I understand, you know, Brian Jean got back into politics. Uh, he says, I mean, he, he doesn't, hasn't really made it a hundred percent clear. I don't believe that he's back in it because he wants to be leader. Um, but he isn't discounting it either. Uh, I personally believe that that's the only reason he's back in. Um, and, and Danielle, um, I think she's a little misguided here because, uh, people really, really felt 
betrayed by her by her moves when she was the leader of the Wild Rose Party right at the end. Yeah, see, I don't think people are going to forget that. I mean, I, I certainly haven't forgotten it. I wasn't even living in Alberta anymore at that time. But, and even I was, uh, well, I was floored that she had made that move in the first place. And, yeah, I, I called her a turncoat, and so did many of my friends who were living in Alberta. Yeah, I mean, that one was, it was shocking. I mean, has anybody ever done that before? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, people cross the floor all the time, but for the leader of the party to cross the floor to the to the governing side, and uh, I think she took some MLAs with her, but I, I don't remember at the, the time, but I mean, yeah. that was, yeah, I don't want to use the word unprecedented, but that was unprecedented. That was crazy. I, I believe it was unprecedented because I don't think it's ever happened before in, in Canada. I mean, for the leader and some of their uh, their M- MLAs to just cross the floor. I mean that it's it was shocking, and everyone was betray- felt betrayed by her in the Wild Rose Party, and I and I don't blame them. And for her to think that she could run and even win is wholly misguided. And maybe just a touch of narcissism. That's actually a good word. Um, you know, because you, you're right. I mean, she was leader of the official opposition and crossed the floor to the governing party. But she would have won the next election and been premier all on her own. But that's beside the point, because we don't know that for sure anymore. But, yeah, I mean, I understand. And I've listened to her speech lately. She's... Uh, she worked with Western Standard. I don't know if she actually worked for them, but she certainly has appeared on some of their programming. And she talks a great game. She has good ideas. She's, I mean, she's still smart. She's still very well spoken. And yes, I still have a crush on her. But in, uh, I just don't know how anybody could look at Danielle Smith and say, you know, why not give her another chance? She only, you know, really was very effective in getting Alberta the NNDP government for four years. And that wasn't directly her fault, but I mean, she didn't help that situation. So uh, yeah, I don't see how she thinks she's got a strategy here. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. She is very smart. She's her policies that she's always espoused have been great policies. Um, Yeah. I just think that that one move that she made pretty much cooked her goose. I mean, she's never going to be successful in the political arena arena again unless people's short memories prove to be short. And um, I just don't see how she possibly could expect to be successful in, in Alberta politics again after what she did. Yeah, I don't either. I don't see... Uh... Yeah, I don't see how she she thinks she can be successful. I, I don't. I guess maybe voters outside of conservative circles may have already forgiven and forgot. But people, especially people who were in the Wild Rose Party, and that's a very large faction of the United Conservative Party, I cannot imagine any of them welcoming her back with open arms. No, me neither. Not at all. No, she. Uh, I know she was on uh, 
on the radio in Calgary for quite some time. And then about a year ago, I guess it was, she, I think it was in February, she left on her own volition. And she talked about not being able to speak her mind and whatnot. And I'd almost say she might be better off staying in media. Like, I just don't see a future for her in Alberta politics. No, neither do I. And I mean, and it's funny because like, she was she was working for the same radio station that uh, Dave Rutherford used to work for, right? Correct, yeah. Yeah, and he complained of the same thing. I mean, he got fired, but he after he left, he complained of the same thing, that he wasn't able to speak his mind. Well, it's funny because that's a talk radio station, and you kind of think with talk radio, you, you should have some flexibility. I mean, I guess I always assume you kind of set your own own agenda on talk radio, but maybe not. Maybe maybe what we're doing here in the podcast realm is the last last stand for actual free speech. Yeah. Oh, it absolutely is. And I mean, and it's interesting because if you listen to Dave Rutherford now on his podcast, he's he's a he's far more right wing than he was on his radio show. Oh, I didn't even know he had a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Well, you know, I've got one more to add to the list. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no problem. Yeah. All right. So let's move on. We've got a topic that you and I love to discuss. And I wish he would just go away. 86 year old climate activist David Suzuki suggested, I think it was yesterday, day before, that. Pipelines should be blown up or could be blown up and the government better watch out. So is that a threat? Is that a promise? Is that a well, warning? It just, just makes me wonder if we should reclassify him as a uh, as a uh, an eco-terrorist rather than a activist. Um, I mean, he's he says it's a warning like like not a not a threat warning, but a a warning warning that that people might do this. No, you know what? You're 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 a smart man. Okay, I don't I don't like you. I don't agree with you, but you're a smart man. You know that your followers are rabid, and you know just like you know you could argue that Trump knew his fans would take it to the extreme too you know your fans mr suzuki would take will take this to the extreme when you say that pipelines could get blown up what you're saying is or i mean what you what you the the consequences of that are that your own followers are gonna go Ooh, our messiah has just said that we should blow up pipelines i mean your fans are are crazy nut bars and they're gonna do it so i think he should be charged for uh attempting to incite violence well to me that's what he's doing yeah and and i mean the thing is is that he said that. I mean, it's funny to me that that's the only thing that people are that from what he said in that in that article, that that's what everybody's focusing on, even though, yes, it's pretty bad what he said. But he also said we shouldn't be eating vegetables and fruits 12 months of the year. 
<laughs> he said that we live in a northern country and there's and our food supply chain should not be six or seven thousand miles long. Why are we eating fruits and vegetables, fresh fruits and vegetables in Canada for 12 months of the year? He also said that. He really is clueless, isn't he? Because he also is a vegetarian and doesn't believe we should be eating red meat. So what the hell are we supposed to eat in Canada if we're not allowed to have fruits and vegetables 12 months of the year and we're not supposed to eat meat? Yeah, and we can't even eat bugs because we can't dig them out of the snow. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a short-sighted thing, too, when they say, oh, insects are the future of protein. Really? So if you eat all these insects, what is going to be part of the ecosystem then? Well, exactly. Like, like I'm just, I'm just so sick and tired of, of, of dumbasses like David Suzuki spouting off like this. I mean, the guy, he's a multi, multi-millionaire. He owns a gigantic house on right on the ocean um, where he bought, I believe like three lots to build his house. I mean, he, everything he owns multiple houses too. I mean, the guy travels around the world flying on private jets. I mean, he's, he is not, he's got a bigger carbon footprint than the average Canadian. Oh, he totally does. And it was a, uh... When you talked about him being vegetarian, I had, uh, I had to laugh. There was a Facebook thread about his story. And, of course, some of the comments there were, well, if people would all just, just eat vegetarian, they wouldn't have to worry about these animals you know, that are in, in distress in British Columbia because we wouldn't need them. And my answer to that always is, screw you. I'm a meat eater. I'm a prairie boy. I do like my steaks and burgers, and I'll keep eating them. Thank you very much. Yeah. People can make this whole idea of telling me what I should and should not eat, and they can shove it right up there. You know what? Yeah. Well, and, and it's like you're seeing this a lot more in the media lately about banning red meat. And, I mean, this all started a few years back when the WHO added red meat as a carcinogen. And it's being pushed a lot more lately. Like, as if COVID wasn't enough to worry about, now, now they're... They're trying to push. Uh, they're trying to. They're trying to push the the narrative back to climate change, and they're trying to uh, uh, push these ridiculous ideas of not eating red meat anymore, um, when it's you know directly correlates with the doubling of the uh, like when we started cooking red meat, it, it directly correlates with the doubling of the human brain the doubling of the size of the human brain and and it's the reason that you know that we get the nutrition that we get and i mean it's it's no it's it's no coincidence in my mind that that people who who are who are vegetarian and vegan have 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 the dumbest ideas i mean (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they do 
Yeah. So, I mean, you're not going to convince me. I don't want to be dumb. So you're not going to convince me to not eat meat. <laughs> I mean, I'm going hunting. I got, I've got a draw for, for elk. I'm going hunting in two weeks. And I'm coming back with a bison from a bison ranch. I mean, I'm loading up on red meat, man. Awesome. Well, and with the price of meat and all of the other groceries now, you're you're very wise to do that because holy crap, is uh, it's getting expensive at the grocery stores. And I don't want to blow our own bugle again. Oh, actually, yes, I do. We had talked on this show. Uh, well, when the COVID, all the third money was rolling out the door, that watch out, Canada, hyperinflation is just around the corner. And it's been delayed somewhat because of all that government money being thrown around. But here it is. Buckle up, Canada. Yeah, it, it, it was delayed a bit by all the government money being printed and thrown around. But, but the side effect of all that money being printed and thrown around is, is that the inflation rates... Uh, have skyrocketed past what they would have been had there not been all that government money being thrown around. Um, and now, and now I guess we're being proven right again. I mean, we've been warning about this for about two years that this was going to happen and it was going to happen regardless of COVID, but COVID just made it worse. Right. And it's, I mean, it's bad. I mean, I don't know if you've been to the grocery store lately to buy fresh chicken, but six breasts of chicken are was when I was in there was thirty four dollars. Wow. Um, ground beef is like almost nine bucks a pound. Ooh. Um, I mean, it's. Milk is, I mean, they've, they've approved and were granted uh, a price increase for milk, right? I mean, it, it, up like, what was it, 15% or something? I mean... Well, in stage, yeah, it starts at 8.4, then you have to go through the 13-something, I think, by next year or, or within, the, the, within the year. So. Yeah, yeah. So almost 15% within yeah. 12 months. Yeah. And, I mean... <sighs> It, it's this is scary because before COVID, Canadian like it was like fifty percent of Canadians almost almost fifty percent of Canadians were like two hundred bucks or less away from insolvency, and now with COVID that got worse, and now we've got hyperinflation, and the media is trying to um, play defense for the government. By, by running articles stating why why inflation should not scare you. Yeah, well, it scares the hell out of me for one thing, because I grew up poor, and I know that inflation hurts the poor disproportionately to the rest of the population, especially for seniors on a fixed pension, for example, and, you know, the, the, the single parents with young kids, you know, single income earners and whatnot. Those are the people that this is really going to hurt. And Michael Campbell, who uh, has that show Money Talks, had said on, I think it was the last weekend, short weekend before, that 84% or 86% of 
COVID relief money that got sent out went to people who didn't actually even need it. So only 14% of that money we blew Canada went to people who actually needed it. And those people are the ones who are now going to be needing help even more. And they're getting no help from the government because the government is just continuing to print money and is going to pinch those working poor and lower income people to the brink. I mean, that's, I, I don't know how they get out of this without pain. Yeah. And the, and the, and the way that these people are going to get help is from food banks and from bankruptcy court. Yeah. That, well, speaking that, of food banks, the uh, city of Toronto uh, over the last year has saw almost a 50% or no, 50,000 people per month increase in food bank usage. Oh, God, that's heartbreaking. It is. It's terrible. And speaking of Toronto, it's kind of next door to Quebec, and that's what I wanted to talk about next was Quebec. Excellent. Let's <laughs> see how I did that there. Um, anyway. So the mayor of Montreal and the premier of Quebec are demanding the government ban handguns because of all the gang violence that they're having. Well, that's really going to help, isn't it? Because we got to get those handguns off the streets from all those legal owners who tend to store them safely and keep them at home and only fire them at a firing range. Yeah. So that's an idea so dumb, it could only come from a vegan. But <laughs> I see what but, you did there. <laughs> as far as I know, they're not vegans, so <laughs> they must be liberals. So <laughs> I don't. This is the thing that people don't get in Canada, and I think these two morons also don't get is that. People who own handguns in Canada, who own them legally, are trained, are tested, are RCMP vetted, and RCMP vetted on a daily basis, and have to adhere to some of the strictest gun control laws in the world. Or else they're guilty of a gun crime. These gang, this gang violence that's happening right now in Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver. These are not legal guns. These are not legal gun owners. These are almost unanimously not guns sourced from Canada. They are smuggled in from the United States as evidenced by that huge cache of guns that were uh, um, that were confiscated at the border uh, when C- when CBSA agents um, managed to uh, 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 stop someone from from smuggling guns into Canada uh, these are these are not these these kinds of pushes for 
handgun bans are not going to achieve and at one iota of difference. None. No, of course I mean, not. Because legal handgun owners are just going to try to figure out how to comply with the new laws. Or, you know, and a lot of people just say, oh, you know what, it's not worth the hassle, just take it. Yeah. I mean, I, you, you and I are, are both licensed, uh, restricted license uh, firearms. Um, oh, God, I mixed up my words there. We are, you and I are both licensed, restricted, um, Oh my God! I can't even get my wording right. Firearms There you go. That's that's what I was trying to say, and I didn't. So I, must, <laughs> I, I gotta I gotta go eat some meat. Um, the, the, and and because of that, you and I are vetted by the RCMP every single day of the year, and I mean Canadian. Firearms owners, especially ones with restricted licenses like you and I, we are the most vetted people on the face of the earth. <laughs> well, we really are, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we our names get put through the RCMP database every single day. And it's it's just insane that they think that we're the dangerous ones. Yeah, and you know, honestly, I believe that the police don't believe that we are the dangerous ones, but it's all it's ideology. Trudeau believes that we're the dangerous ones. John Tory believes we're the dangerous ones. The new mayor of Montreal, I can't remember what, her, what the name is, believes that, oh, it's all these legal gun owners who are buying these guns and selling them to criminals. Well, no, because we would get more jail time than they would if we did that. So, no, it's not us really isn't and you're right it's the guns coming in that are smuggling from the u.s that's what's causing most of the gun crime even john tory who wants to ban handguns was forced to admit that 80 percent of the guns used in, in toronto gang shootings are ones that are brought directly from the u.s so this is nothing that our leaders don't already know yet they continue to want to push ahead yeah well and i mean the conspiracy theorist in me is says that that's because they want an unarmed populace so that they can really do whatever the hell they want. Well, I, I don't even think you're wrong. I don't even, I don't even consider that a conspiracy theory anymore. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's a shame. It's a shame because people who like innocent people are getting punished and that's, that's, while while reducing sentences for the people who are actually guilty of gun crimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mandatory minimums are a thing of the past now, thanks to our liberal government. Yeah, and uh, and the 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 most law-abiding citizens in the country are the ones getting punished, and it's not fair, and it's not right, and won't do a damn thing. For, the, for gun violence in the country. Nope, exactly right, Canada. And well, we'll wrap it there so we can continue our tradition of leaving you on a downer. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, go, eat, we, go, go eat meat, Canada. Don't be dumb.
Go eat some red meat. Absolutely. And until next time, I'm going to go have a hamburger. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada.